Welcome to Charity Matters Podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so grateful to now be sharing their inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern-day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Today, our guest is Hal Hargrave, the founder of the Be Perfect Foundation. Hal shares with us his inspiring journey from a 17-year-old boy to a nonprofit founder and the trials and tribulations that he's faced in starting a nonprofit that provides direct and emotional support for people living with paralysis. This is a conversation you're not going to want to miss. Hal, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today. It's so exciting. I know we've, in full disclosure, we've talked um, before and you've, you and I've talked about some of these things, but I think a lot of the people who are listening have not. So I'm really excited to share a little bit of your journey and a little bit about the Be Perfect Foundation. Well, thank you, Heidi. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on and, you know, honestly, to kind of get the, the knock on the door, the ring of the doorbell for something like this. It's a uh, Nothing you shy away from, um, you know, you see that face come up on the, the ring camera and you're like, you come running to, to <laughs> know it's going to be the greeting you want to get. And uh, you're definitely going to want to respond congruently. So here I am. Um, well, we're so thrilled. Yeah. We're so thrilled that you're here. And um, I have to say it's serendipitous. I always think um, the people that end up at my path are not by accident. And um, the backstory, obviously, is two summers ago, I was on a business trip and shared a cab with, of all people, your parents. Yeah. And uh, nonprofit founders find me in the most crazy places. And we were in Canada. And um, and your cute mom said, Lori said, you need to talk to my son, Hal. And so here we are. We've already had a conversation a number of times over the years, but I'm really excited to have it again today. So, you know, I really am a believer that from a very divine perspective, these things truthfully aren't by accident. And for some reason, uh, servant hearts and philanthropic minds uh, cross paths and intersect. And you're kind of put face to face with people who are in your life at the right time to um, you know, grow you within and without. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of those cases and, you know, the relationships built over the past couple of years. I just told the story to somebody yesterday of how you met my parents. And, um, you know, I don't believe it was for any undue reason of other than like, you know, we speak the same language and we uh, do. We're, we're about the betterment of people. So um, amen all, to that. Amen to that. So obviously I know your backstory, but I think, um, as as you said, everything leads to something else. Our connection has led to something else. And obviously, your backstory has led to your work with creating the Be Perfect Foundation. But why don't you share for everyone a little bit about um, kind of the path that you were on and and the moment that it, it turned and the decision you made from that? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, the I have like kind of two reference points of an aha moment in my life that are um, very congruently important in comparison to each other that um, were in many respects the kind of reshaping of my life. And um, the first one um, came when I was a senior in high school. As a matter of fact, I was, um, as an, I guess you could say a younger individual who was set to go off and play collegiate baseball. Baseball really spoke to my heart in the form of something that took commitment and dedication something that I had to find a role, play it to the best of my ability, you know, team player mentality, insert adjective of what it means to be collaborative, so to speak. And my senior year, I didn't really see eye to eye with the coach's vision of my role on the team. And as that season wore on and it came down, ironically enough, to the very final game of the season, I remember sitting on the bench and like the light bulb literally went off and it was almost like, you know, this opening of this door in front of my eyes, like you missed the path all along. And here you are finally on the final game of your senior year after four you know, years of high school baseball. And you're just now getting it like this was in front of you all along. Why didn't you open the door? And, you know, really what the door led to was, you know, kind of an opening of Pandora's box of really firmly understanding my role and my purpose. And 
quite honestly, before I lived, you know, I would tell you very selfishly minded, you know, what was in it for me? I'm going to go to college and get the degree in X, Y, or Z so I can do X, Y, or Z with career path orientation, or I'm going to get good grades for me and it's going to be for nobody else. And, you know, you lead with intent of, you know, how does it affect me? And I'll be honest with you, I don't think anybody ever pinned me to be somebody who was necessarily selfish, at least outwardly, or somebody that was, um, you know, narrow-minded. But but you uh, were a 17-year-old boy. Of course. And, so, and that's how 17-year-old boys are, Hal. <laughs> As the mother of three of them, yes, that's just how they are. Yes, and so that manifestation in that moment of sitting on the bench on the final game of my senior year while my other fellow senior peers are on the field, it was an obvious moment to me to look at and say, maybe your role isn't what you think it is. Maybe it's to be, you know, removed and be the one of visibility and of clarity and the one that has eyes on people that's taking direction of where the turmoil's at. And you can immerse yourself as a fix-it person into those um, areas um, that lack space and those areas that need to be filled and those areas that, you know, have void that, you know, are calling your name. And maybe you're not meant to be in the heart of it all at the front and center, but maybe as a removed bystander, you can gather and collect information as somebody who becomes very visual by virtue of what you tune your attention to and what you tune your detail to. So how much time between that sitting on the bench and kind of the turning point of things without spoiling the story, which I want you yeah, to share was, and I don't want to tell within, it. It was within months. It was within okay. months okay. because this was, mind you, a couple weeks left in my senior year and okay. that light bulb went off. At the end of that game, I rose my hand, said, coach, I want to speak up. And I said, hey, guys, I just want you all to know this year taught me so much more than just like, you know, how I could help the team win by virtue of what I did on the field. It was really what I could do off the field as a cheerleader, as an advocate, and as a supporter. That is my real role, and I realized that today. So let's oh, fast I never now. knew that part of the story. Always, I only yeah. knew the, okay, so I only knew the next part of the story. So, so tell us the next. So you yes. go from there. You're getting ready to go to college. You're having your summer. and Yeah, so I'm, I'm preparing for college, working in the family business with my parents, and mind you, Throughout this summer, it was a summer of growth from the sheer mindset of everything that I did. It led with an intentionality of how could I influence and affect others along the way. And from a decision-making standpoint, I understood that my decisions had repercussions upon others. That was validated on July 26, 2007. I was heading up to Las Vegas working for my dad. I was taking, ironically enough, handicap-accessible bathroom partition equipment to a site in Las Vegas for Home Depot. My dad's company, a general contracting company, was converting Home Depot bathrooms to make them handicap and ADA accessible, which is something I have a far greater appreciation for now. But I like to really reference my my accident in a very symbolic state of a metaphor for life, where when things are placed in front of us, oftentimes our natural reaction is to swerve and miss because we're individuals who typically don't like conflict. We don't like um, obstruction. Uh, we like clarity. We like clear vision, right. something not in front of us. We oftentimes don't check the peripherals. It's very narrow-minded, so to speak. And lo and behold, my accident is symbolic of that because there was a tire tread in the middle of the road and my reaction was to swerve and miss. And, you know, I ended up then losing control of a truck with thousands of pounds of material and rolling it five times and sustaining a spinal cord injury by virtue of the accident. But I look at that metaphor and I think to myself, and not from a a standpoint of what if, but I take that learning point and I apply it to my now current and congruent, you know, learnings of how I face things head on because face things head on where our biggest fear is like what's going to happen next. And, Oftentimes we fear that we are, when we are exposed to tough and difficult situations, that if we face them head on, it's going to cause more turmoil or more confusion or more construction in our lives. And the truth is, is oftentimes those tough conversations or those tough moments often lead to better things as it is or a weight right. off of our shoulders. And we're oftentimes in a better place. But so, that's what's so fascinating. I mean, you yeah. wake up and you're paralyzed yes. and, and, and this is why you're just 
super special. Everyone's special, but you are super special to me, Al, because your attitude is infectious. And obviously you had that attitude as you were a cheerleader sitting on the bench with your team. You've had that attitude your whole life, but you're now dealt a hand of cards. You're a young boy, you're an athlete and you're paralyzed and, and you are just, your life's kind of blindsided. You just don't even know, right? You just, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big turn from the path that you were on. No kidding. And I, you know, we automatically think and namely as faith-based people, um, or one who are rooted in the faith-based mentalities, when those things like that happen, you automatically revert to like, what am I being punished for? Like, why, why me? Like, you know, and the truth is, is, 14 years removed from my accident now I look back and I'm like why not me like what mm. why not like you know and, and I look at it and I, I don't look at this as like um a have to type endeavor every day by virtue of my actions of what they resulted in but now it's more of a mentality of like I get to not that I have to and right. I deem it as like life's biggest opportunity blessing and you know, the ultimate form of grace that was given to me was like, we know you think you're being punished, but the reality is, is you're going to be given a platform that few to little people ever get, or they even notice that they have in front of them. And now if you utilize it, you're going to reap the blessings of grace that like you've never seen before, where we're going to give you something and expect nothing in return. And that's really when I speak to, you know, the God I believe in, and you know, whatever people believe in, you know, I applaud that as well, regardless if it's my God or their God or nothing. You know, for me, it's, you know, continuous praise and appreciation because I know 14 years removed, and I, I, I should have known this at the age of 17, that I am far more blessed than I probably deserve to be. Um, but Oh, I don't know about that. I no, don't know about I, that sure, now. <laughs> for sure, am, but, you know, 14 years removed now, the – the blinders are off. The peripherals are intact. I can see clearly in what's around me, and I'm the ultimate spectator now. Like, well, that hindsight is pretty crystal clear. It's pretty amazing that we sure. don't we don't always see the signs. And whether yeah. it was an ADA bathroom sign or what, sure. right? But I mean, we just sure. don't we we don't always connect the dots. But so this, you know, accidents happen. It's left you paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And when did you? decide okay i mean you have to deal with your physical health you're you're you know you're 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 hanging on things are not great people are visiting you in the hospital the everything the whole world is coming to you and showing love to you and your family and you're being like swept up in all this love and appreciation for everything your family's done for so many people and and when do you decide like I'm not going to have a pity party. I'm going to do something with this gift, as you said, like, and this platform that I'm being presented with. When does that light bulb go off for you? Day four in the hospital. Uh, I was, uh, I had come out of a couple of different surgeries. And uh, the most recent procedure I'd went through was removing the intubation tubes out of my throat. And I was on a feeding tube and a, um, you know, intubation tube to help with breathing and that gets removed. And at that point, I finally was able to have communication with friends and family after, you know, really four days that were kind of a blur, but very dark days, days of coming to, you know, a reality of, you know, what lies ahead without really knowing what the future held still in many respects. But I say day four because there was an individual that stepped into my hospital room and she just broke out into tears and started bawling and she just curled up in her mom's arms and they're staring at me in this hospital bed. And it, what it, I kind of looked at it as an analogy of like people looking down on you um, simply because at that very moment in my life, I felt very small. I felt weak physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I felt a little embarrassed um, even though, you know, what was there to be embarrassed about? You know, there was a catastrophic injury that took place. And, you know, right. But you're feeling pity yeah. or you're feeling their pity. And that's totally, and yeah. you're, you're not prepared. You don't know what to do with that. No, I mean, I, I don't like the eyes on me in that respect of like people right. feeling sorrow or pity for me. I'm a firm believer in accountability. Like I chose to get behind that truck. I chose to swerve and miss. Like, don't be sitting here and having this pity party in front of me for something that you know, quite frankly, you know, whether it was divinely, you know, provoked or if it was my actions, you know, 
I'm here. Like, but the fact is I'm still alive. So let's gather hope around that. And like, let's right. on that. Right. So I look at them and I'm like, Hey, you know, why are you crying? And she's like, you know, look at you. Like you're, you're not the same how. And I'm like, no, that's where you're mistaken. If anything, I've become the how I was supposed to be by virtue of this. And I'm going to, I'm going to be here to prove to you, um, you know, that this is going to be far more, um, you know, blessings than it is going to be curses in my life. And that's certainly what it's become. And it was in that moment that it was the validating moment in my life of like, wow, my actions really do affect other people. You know, I chose to swerve in this. I got behind the wheel of the car and now I have a person full of sorrow by virtue of that. And they're not even directly connected to this by virtue of, you know, immediate family. And it was also very validating that the family you get to choose, which they are one of them is uh, some of the more important people in your life. Uh, People that, you know, are characterized around, good morals and values and that really speak to you. And I'll tell you 14 years later, I have a whole community of those kind of people that um, they don't, they give me a reason to never stop just only to continue to go sometimes to a fault. But, you know, I'm always thinking to myself, I'm never going to be on my deathbed looking back on my life saying, God, I'm exhausted. Thank gosh. I'm heading out of the world right now. Nobody says that people are always like, I want more time. I want more to do. I want more people to see. I want more memories to make. I made it a point that in that moment, I was never going to let another moment slip away of unused time. So, and well, and that, and that is, that is a gift. That is a gift. I, I, I share that gift with you. That's why you're my people. When my mother um, was hit by a bus and killed in a car accident in 2002, one of the legacies of that is how precious she was 60 um, is how precious our, our time is and how short it is and how, and I am, um, if there's one thing I just that I, I time to me is just the most precious gift. And I, like you, just want to just make life as incredible as it can be because we just have so little of it. Right. I can we see that. So I'm glad there's other people in that. Yeah. You're not alone, my friend. You're not alone. This is why you're my people. So yeah. you, so you, you, you have this aha moment. You say, I'm becoming the how I was supposed to be. And then how much longer until you say, we're going to create a foundation. We're going to create an organization that's going to help other people, or I'm going to, I'm going to help other people. You haven't even helped yourself. You haven't even figured out what your own challenges are now being paralyzed. And, and you're already thinking about other people in that hospital room. So how much longer till you say, okay, I'm taking this to a bigger place and we're going to do something to help other people. So that came within about four to four and a half months of my injury. So, okay. I got injured on July 26. That interplay of that situation with that young lady took place on day four. I'm in, you know, acute care ICU hospital up until the beginning of October for about 70 days in total. And I then embark on my um, physical recovery journey, uh, seeking out, you know, other interventions of rehabilitation and care in the outpatient setting. And I was traveling to and from Carlsbad a couple days a week for therapy. And I had actually brought that methodology from that program up to my hometown in Claremont and had a couple of my own trainers trained so I could train literally on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at home, at my home gym, um, not at my house, but in the city of Claremont, as well as Tuesday, Thursday down in Carlsbad. And so it was a five day a week and it still is 14 years later, a two hour a day regimen of, wow. you know, working through the physical, mental and emotional prowess of, you know, recovery and the trials and tribulations that come along with just everyday rehabilitation. And that's, that's also congruent with people that are able bodied I mean, we also are all in a place of needing some sort of rehabilitation of the heart, mind, soul, emotions, mentality, and physicality of our body. And right. so this all culminated right around the holidays, believe it or not. And I was um, talking to an individual who uh, was very less fortunate than me um, by virtue of two things. Number one, financially, um, he was really in a place that um, the injury and what came along with it in the form of expenses of therapy costs and medications and just ma- really making ends meet was not feasible like it was for me by virtue of my family's dynamic and some other things that had happened to me. 
And then secondarily, his support system, and I I hate to have looked at it in the form of comparison, but I think the comparison in that perspective gave me what I needed to see in the form of not everybody has what I have, and so I should be a contributing factor to trying to give them a bit of what I have to fill their cup. And I looked at this individual and I said, hey, man, like, I'll see you after the holidays. And this was after, you know, a two-hour therapy session down in Carlsbad. We're both on our way out the door. We're wheeling to the car. And he's like, you know, no, you won't. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, no, it really comes down to putting food on the table for the family. And that really comes first. Surviving comes first. And unfortunately, physical rehabilitation comes second. And I looked at my dad. As the conversation culminated, I'm like, don't get me in the car. And he's like, why? And I'm just like, you know, I've been talking to you about from a very faith-based perspective. I've been trying to figure this out. Like, what am I being told? Like, what am I divinely being directed towards? And I think this was what I needed to hear to know what it is. And, you know, I think I'm being told that I can be used as a conduit to help people financially gain reprieve post-injury diagnosis or accident to be able to afford some of the blessings that I am, in this case, in the form of ongoing rehabilitation in the outpatient setting. And he said, hey, like, we can talk about this on the ride home, but if you're telling me at the age of 17, 18, you got this figured out, you go wheel up to that front desk and tell them that we're going to have this figured out and to keep them on the schedule for after the holidays. And so, you know, I, I limp over by virtue of my very weak upper body of pushing myself (laughs) back up to the front desk. And I'm like, Hey, the Hargrave family will be sponsoring this individual after the holidays. And I jump in the car and I kind of look at my dad, like, what did I just do? And only because I knew that the second that we as a family embark on something, whether it's in the form of philanthropy, business, relationships or love like we go hard at it and that's just how we're <laughs> built and so i knew i had extended myself with and another, dodger games and yeah, dodger games another <laughs> yes moment in my life yes i'll take on this endeavor without really knowing the repercussions and i'll tell you the repercussions have been nothing but fruitful 14 years later Aww. yes they have a lot of time but that time has brought memories and perspectives so i'll take that before anything else and so Thus, the Be Perfect Foundation was born without me even knowing it. Isn't that um, beautiful? I love that. To help a single individual, and 14 years later, it's. 100. But it always starts that way, Hal. It yeah. always starts with one person wanting to help one person. Always. I mean, it's it's it's. I have never talked to a nonprofit founder, and I've talked to hundreds that um, set out to change the world. Set out to and global poverty that send out, they always want to feed one person. They always want to help one person. It's always the seed that is, that is planted that continues to grow. So you start this organization, but you know, there's chat, there's a lot of challenges. And I don't think people always realize one of the reasons I love having these conversations is that I think people just think, Oh, a nonprofit is just, you know, asking for money, which by the way is not easy either, but there's, it's a business and it's hard and you're 18 and you're, and you're dealing with your own physical challenges yourself, your own emotional healing, and you're already taking this on. So what challenges have you encountered along the way in starting the Be Perfect Foundation? I think it was uh, early on a, um, not necessarily a time orientation, but it was really from an infrastructure standpoint of how do we grow this organically uh, without having paid staff? And, you know, bless the individual's hearts that, you know, start anything in the form of philanthropy or are involved in anything in the form of philanthropy, compensated or not. But I will tell you that the, the mission early on, and we've stayed true to it, 100% true to it as a family, is we will not have paid staff as a part of, um, you know, our model and our infrastructure model of the Be Perfect Foundation. And it was with the intent because of a couple things. Number one, it was really taking to heart the mentality that we have so many blessings as a family that if this is our legacy and our philanthropic work, it's truly going to be philanthropic. We're not going to seek any, um, you know, repercussions of further blessings of compensation when we're already in a far better place than most people are. And secondarily, I also wanted to ensure that 
I could look a donor in the eye and tell them that, hey, 99.9% of your dollars outside of a couple of administrative, you know, fees in the form of postage and, you know, softwares uh, to keep all of this going forward is going to go directly back to program services, which is where the money is most needed is the people and the people that we're serving and the people that we're granting scholarships. And so I think it was trying to gather the X's and O's and really formulate the vision into a funnel where it was going to be well-seasoned, where we were going to convey the proper and the right image. And, you know, behind the scenes that we could really pursue forward with not just meaningful and purposeful work, but with ethical practices and wanted to make sure that we stayed true to that because that still is the most important thing to me is you know, be people of integrity, be who you say you're going to be. And if you're going to embark on a mission of being a not-for-profit that doesn't have paid staff and that doesn't cut corners and put your money where your mouth is, you know, let's be true to that. So It's really hard to do, though. I mean, it's great to have that vision, but that's really, really hard to do. Totally. I mean, you can look at the most ethical foundations of the world that I bow my head to out of respect and it's 18 to 20% goes directly to overhead and administrative costs. That's just Absolutely. Right. People that make a living. And so to be sub 1% nearly 14 years running, I mean, I, I look it, at that as, as a very special thing. Well, thank you for the Bravo, bravo, bravo. I'm that's clapping. Not, that's not to toot my horn. Honestly, I, it's like, it's really to toot the horn of the community. There are people that have given us trust. They've given faith in us. And people that have looked at us with their hard-earned dollars that they've been passed off to us to know we're going to do the right thing with it and do what we say. I mean, bless those people for continuing to show up because $7 million later and 14 years later, we've made one heck of a difference. But oh, I my God. Say, you hey, answered my question before I asked yeah, it, Hal. This is just the beginning. I mean, we're rolling, and this thing grew legs far greater than – So so talk to me about your impact. I mean, it's sometimes impact is a number. Sometimes impact is people serve. Sometimes impact is a story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a love hate relationship with the word as everyone who's listens knows because it's nonprofits. Like we also have to measure our impact and how do you measure meeting someone after their accident and sitting with a hospital bed and telling that you're going to pull them through. You can't measure that. And I know you do that, Hal. Um, you know, you can't measure the things that you've that you've done for families and saying, we're going to pay for your therapy. We're going to make sure you have a car. We're going to make sure that you can get to work. We're going to make sure that you, you know, have your medicine. I mean, you can't measure that. So what do you think your impact has been in these 14 years besides yeah. seven million dollars, which is uh, significant? Hello. Yeah, I mean, to not make it objective and to make it subjective and outside the box, I mean, yeah, you look at the $7 million, fine, but honestly, what are you doing with that to make a difference is where it really right. matters. And so when we look at it subjectively and we look at it case by case of um, in the Southern California area alone, I'll never forget what I was told, you know, in reference to Southern California and our market down here. I had the opportunity to speak to, to Bill Gates one, once upon a time, and I had an introduction to him by somebody who was far too nice of an introduction that they gave to me in front of him by basically saying, look at this young man. He's you know 19 years old, and he's already raised a million dollars for philanthropy for people, you know. Can you share some words of advice with him? And so we had this, you know, interplay, and he said, you know how, like, I never got involved with philanthropy until I was 40 plus years old. And he said, so hats off to you, but if I can give you something in the form of direction, it would be this. He said, you know, there's no question that there's problems out there, you know, and, you know, that's generally how a philanthropy or something in the form of an initiative starts is identifying a problem and trying to find a solution to solve it by virtue of, you know, financial avenues that can give people reprieve and, you know, put them in a better place. And he looked at me and he said, make your problem narrow and be as best as you can be at it. Kind of like the in and out model, you know, just really having a small menu and staying true to it, knowing you're darn good at it and execute it as best you can. And so I really went narrow with not necessarily like the thoughts, but narrow by virtue of, you know, what the problem was going to be, the demographic we were going to serve. And I wanted to be known that we could be the best and most reliable at that in the Southern California community. And so 
you know, you can look around and we can all find problems in our own backyard. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the Susan Komen's breast cancer awareness of the world, the American Red Cross. Right. Like, there's a million. There's 1.7 million problems. So yeah, yeah, there's there's tons of them. And so how are you going to identify the problem and put your spin on it to solve it charismatically, ethically, morally sound? And the way that I can tell you I measure that now is I measure measure it by virtue of not just our ethics, and that would be measured internally, but externally with the people that actually matter. I would say it's the appreciation and the gratefulness, not only that we get from the people that we serve, but our donors. Somehow our donors feel like they're the benefactor. They come to us. Well, they're changing people's lives and they can see, they can see. I mean, first of all, you can go to a physical place and you can see people who've been paralyzed working out. You can hear their stories. You can talk to them. You can, everyone has a story and everyone has a story of how you be perfect has, has helped them and guided them to a place of, of, joy and healing and positivity and it's not just about as you said just giving them their workout there's so much more that you guys do for the reasons you just said like point blank in itself are the exact reasons that we hold credibility in the eyes of our donors they know where their dollars are going they see it visually which in a lot of respects a lot of times we'll go to fundraisers or galas or we'll donate online or you know, whatever it might be, annual giving or, you know, large gifts. And sometimes we're scratching our heads saying, where was the end point to that? Where did those dollars end up? And that's where we try to be very transparent of like, it's right here. Come see it. You can see it visually. You can hear it out of our clients' mouths and see testimonials online. And, you know, you can look at, you know, our 990 form online and see the transparency there. And for us, you know, the measurement for me it, this may sound so self-serving, but you're asking me the question. I am. <laughs> Somehow in the midst of all of this, 14 years later, I look back and selfishly, like, I've become the benefactor in this. Regardless. Isn't that what happens, don't you yeah. think, when you give? Oh, yeah. Isn't that the craziest thing? Yeah, People time. don't realize it's a drug, Hal. It's a drug, and you and I are addicted. It's oh, a drug, yeah. and we're addicted. When you start giving and you start helping people and they start sharing their joy with you, there is no greater high that I know of um, that it's, it, you, you want more. The countless smiles I see, I think if I can put it into something tangible, is like, you know, they say that phrase, the price of admission, like that's it for me. I come in and I see it on the daily basis with what I do on the for-profit professional side of things. And um, I see it in the form of our clients there who maybe are under scholarship through Be Perfect. And I look at it and I'm just like, that's the reason. Like, that's the reason the alarm goes off and you jump out of bed as opposed to hitting snooze. It's the reason you come to work energized and you want more. It's the reason that on the, you know, ulterior side of things, on the not-for-profit side of things, you know, behind closed doors, you're grinding hard because – you know, it's benefiting others. And, right. you know, once that, I started looking through the lens that I'm being used as a tool here on earth to help reveal God's glory on earth, I started to think then I better do that to the best of my ability. If I'm looking at my snapshot in human history is literally probably on the one inch line of a football field. That's my time <laughs> spent here on this earth. Then I better maximize that because the one thing that's guaranteed in life is that, you know, beginning and end date on our tombstone. And what are you going to do with the time in between? Because there's so little that you'll never have as much of it as you want. Yep. hundred percent. As my father, my 83 old father says to me every day when he comes over and gets on my Peloton, he says, you know what, Heidi, none of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> he tells me that every day. And I'm like, okay, dad, thanks for that reminder. I appreciate that. Thanks dad. Okay. Yeah. Have a good day, dad. But in but terms of life and death, there's things we can do in the midst to give us more life. And right, 100%. More life. So if you could dream any dream for Be Perfect, what would that dream be? Honestly, the dream is that it never goes away. It's forever existent, and it's existent by virtue of 
not just something in the form of legacy for when I'm far and gone and six feet under, but um, something in the form of an endowment and, you know, a tangible endowment that ensures that this is paying out monthly, that we can have a well-established, well-seasoned endowment that regardless of what inquiries we get or how flooded we get with, you know, financial turmoil, not just here in the Southern California area now, because we've helped people out of the country at this point, is I would like to never have to say no. And that's a very ambitious. I don't think, and forgive me for interrupting you, I don't think people always understand. um, They think, what's an endowment and why am I giving to that? But I don't think people understand that when you create an endowment, and you create that savings account, for lack of better words, that you can draw the interest on that and yeah. you can use it as operating to run your program. And it's and it means it goes in perpetuity and that you can um, continue like a great investment account. You know, you just keep growing the, the initial amount and giving money off the top to your organization. It's it's, That's it's the, dream. the holy grail. It's the that holy grail. The that is the dream is to get to, right. a, you know, a decent sum of endowment. We're pulling from the principal every year. The principal remains and it, you know, grows at a rate where on a monthly basis, we're just, we're cooking. And anybody right. else that wants to come and join the fun, I mean, come on and we'll continue to be able to do it's, more. I mean, it's the greatest thing. I remember when we were um, starting spiritual care in 2003, um, to provide chaplains at Children's Hospital, we got a significant unexpected donation. And we were a really new nonprofit, and we just didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I, we asked for a lot of financial advice from a lot of people. And someone said, I think you should take this and start an endowment. I said, well, we're just getting going. They're like, nope, you need to start the endowment now. Like, you need to start. It's like someone telling you, you need to start your savings account yesterday. And so we did. We started it. We started it then. And it merged with some other funds at the hospital. And there's an endowment. And it was just, you know, and it is the holy grail of of fundraising. It's the greatest thing. So I have a question. I know you have a lot of them. But do you have, like, a phrase or a motto that you kind of live by that's kind of your? Well, I think. You know, the, the easiest one to revert my mind to is obviously in the namesake of be perfect because that really derived from a saying of something that oftentimes is perceived as, well, you're really asserting the fact that you're a perfect person. And the fact of the matter is the answer is no to that. But let me give context further behind that meaning to really paint a picture. When we were coming up with a name for the foundation, it came around a time where there was a movie called Friday Night Lights, and this was a football movie based off of high school football in Texas. And Billy Bob Thornton plays the role of the real-life head coach in the late 80s, Coach Gary Gaines, who I've actually met in person, who heard about my story, invited me out. That was a whole miracle and dream country in itself. But nonetheless, there's basically a message that's delivered in that movie that this motto of being perfect is not about winning. It's about you with your relationship with your friends and family and knowing that you didn't let them down because you were this person of integrity that when you told them you were going to give it your all, you actually did just that. And so to put it in a very paraphrased statement, the idea of being perfect for me as it's plastered on the walls behind me in here is the constant reminder of what does it mean to be the best version of myself to aspire to be just that. And I figured that if I'm going to take that notion of my business per professional and personal tactics of how I live my life, I would sure as heck hope that the clients and individuals that we have the opportunity to serve are built in that same realm to give the best version of themselves every day. And I think what kind of complements that statement and that phrase is this idea that I've really kind of immersed myself into is far too often do we dwell on the past and far too often do we have angst about the future and very few often do we live in the here and now. Right. And I think when we are so negatively minded about the past or we're so fearful about what's to come, we forget that in this very moment, there's an opportunity to, in the form 
of verbation, we can live. And that couldn't be more true in the midst of a worldwide pandemic where we had so much taken from us that in a lot of respects, our identity has been stripped and the things that we know and love from how we quote unquote lived before have been taken away from us and been altered. And it's that work from home. And I'll tell you this much, I've had to reinvent myself like everybody else, but I've also reminded myself, hey, you can still live in the midst of the chaos. A hundred percent. And and I think it's um, interesting that you, you share that because um, you already have that mindset that I'm going to live to my fullest. And that's already deep in you, pandemic, no pandemic. That's deep in me. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit, um, I was like, okay, let's figure out how to have fun. How are we going to do this? And And so we had it. I don't want to say fantastic. We were, we were blessed. Yes. Everyone in my house got COVID, but me, we were blessed that everybody was, you know, healthy and we were fortunate in that way. And I'm not certainly not, um, you know, saying anything for people that were, that were sick, but we, we made a mindset to your point that we were going to have a good time and we were going to find a way to make, to find joy in all this. And I, and I do wonder, I think, it was defining for a lot of people that they assessed their life. Like you and I have kind of already had that assessment moment in different ways. And maybe for some people, it was the first time that they were thinking, how do I, that they're really looking at things. I think, I think it happened to the world for a lot of people that, you know, we might've already had that, but a lot of people hadn't had that moment. We'd be remiss to think that something like this isn't going to potentially happen again. So how do you pre-prepare yourself for what's to come? And it doesn't mean, it's going to come in the form of a worldwide pandemic, but there is right. going to be trials and tribulations yes, and moments always. where we have to change course and be right. agile and be all of those cliche things in business that we have grown to hate in the form of buzzwords because we're all ready to be past this pandemic. But the thing yes, we are. In the here and now, there's only so much we can control. So if you can control how you feel about yourself and how you treat others, then let that be the starting point in life of the two things you can control to know and figure out how to live once again, if you, for some reason, forgot that mentality. I love that, Hal. That is brilliant. So I know that you are wise, wise, wise beyond your years because we've had a number of conversations and I always leave just thinking about what you said and it just always stays with me in such a great way, like a gift that I just walk away with. And I hope everyone's walking away with that today, but so many life lessons, You've lived such an incredible life in such a short time. So many life lessons. What do you think some of the big ones are that that you've learned? I mean, obviously, we just talked about one of them with just finding joy in the present and living the present. I, you know, just kind of taking that statement a step further, the the real life lesson, and I have a couple of them, but the first one that comes to mind is just the valuation of time. And, like, quite literally, today, August 25th, 2021, is come and gone in 24 hours' time. And to really comprehend what that looks like over the scheme of your life, and yes, it's one full day, but to look at that and figure out ways that you can, in the form of action, actually take advantage of that, far too often do we for lack of a better expression, lose away that time out of distraction, out of fear, out of complacency, out of removal. And I'm just not willing to gamble on the fact that I'm going to be given tomorrow. And so in the, the construct of just time in itself, it it's tough to flirt with the nature of How do you live in the present? How do you be here? How do you be committed to the current moment and give your all? And then how do you share the love to others that you want to so graciously shed light onto them of what they mean to you, the levels of appreciation that they hold, and show the love that you want to give them without being attached to your phone or something in the form of communication that pulls you away from the current moment of where you're at. And so it's a constant, like, yin and yang of where the balance really is at. Um, but I'll tell you that I've never been so honed in on the notion of time is the most important thing. And what goes along with that sentiment is people. And it's not things. You know, we, we tend to value things far more than we should people. And when we say, oh, I really idolize them, you know, in the form of 
you know, whether it's people in Hollywood or, you know, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great ones of them too, people we should idolize, but I think we idolize what they have oftentimes and not really who they are. And we need to You're right. And the people that we love that we're not giving time to, right? Exactly. That we're, we're making choices with our day. And when your spouse comes home, like, oh, I'm exhausted. How was your day? Uh, yeah. Rather than like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy I'm seeing you right now, right? I mean. Oh, well, I'll be honest with you. Like, we all, whether we want to say it or not, regardless of how we servant lead and how we servant live, how we all you know, who are built this way, take the action to put others before ourselves. At the end of the day, it's fight or flight. At the end of the day, we will tend to act in what's in best interest for ourselves to protect ourselves. And more often than not, we find ourselves in a place where we are at the center of our own world, which is just such a silly statement to really kind of immerse ourselves into or even to conceptualize to think that there's not other people affected by the things that are going on. And so for me, there's no story that has ever been written in human history that doesn't involve more than one person. So stop thinking that, you know, let's just say for this, you know, illustration's sake, that the musical artist is the only one to thank for his music. What about the person who you know, develop the pencil that he wrote with or the person that developed the paper or the idea sake that came from the development of paper or pencil or the inspiration behind his words or her words or, you know, it's right. always... The list goes on and on and on. on. Right. I mean, right. in that respect, start showing some humility and acknowledging the people that play the role in the story that they're helping write for you and acknowledge that people are far... Again, the most important thing that this world has ever had to offer. 100%. So remove yourself from the center of it, immerse people into the middle of it, and be the outsider looking in and absorbing all that information that all these great people around you have to give to, and then start living that way, and I promise you the world will still go around. Well, those are words to um, wrap with because that is some good stuff. I told you I always walk away with like a present. It's like you're a gift with purchase. Like I feel like I get a little extra bonus when I walk away. And and there are there are some rich treasures of gold that you've just shared. So I am so grateful for that. Please tell us how we can support Be Perfect, how we can donate, where we can find you, where we can learn more about your galas and your fundraisers and all the great things and how we can be part of this amazing organization of family. Oh, man. Well, this seems awfully self-serving, but I'm going to deliver the information. On Please. I know it can help other people. So that's really where you go. I'm, okay. I'm propelled to do so. So the Be Perfect Foundation can be found online at BePerfectFoundation.org. Or you can find us on either Instagram, um, Facebook, or even Twitter. And, you know, for informational sake, you can sign up for our newsletter through Facebook or directly through our website um, by just signing up for our mailing list. We do have an upcoming event on April 2nd of 2022. It's hard to always think that 2022 might be upon us. It and will. I'll tell you this much, you know, the Be Perfect Foundation annual fundraiser, and it's Previous eight years, this will be our ninth annual fundraiser, has never had a year that we've had under 800 attendees and raised under a quarter million dollars, with wow. 100% of those dollars going directly back to program services. And I'll tell you this much, it is honestly such a well-comprised program that gives you a takeaway and a feeling of like, I know where my dollars are going. And humbly speaking, I've been to a lot of other galas. And it's one of the few that I leave with that takeaway, even myself as a contributor to my foundation to serve others, that I feel such a warm and fuzzy feeling that, like, the dollars really are making a difference. And let me just paint the picture. The Be Perfect Foundation is a foundation that was built to serve those in the paralysis community to raise funds for things like medical supplies, wheelchairs, home and car adaptations, uh, resources of hope. And most importantly to us is to keep people in recovery and keep them in therapeutic programs so they can then pursue their dreams of uh, getting to a place of recovery that's rooted in, you know, health, 
wellness, quality of life, and reduction of complications that could ultimately re-hospitalize them. And so your dollars, if you are one of those people that's donated, are making a tremendous difference. And if you're not, hasn't yet, the fact that you're listening to a podcast that is orchestrated by Heidi with people that are out in the world making a difference, you're already on the right path. You're listening to the right things, gathering the right information, Certainly not for me, but by virtue of the conduit of Heidi and my gosh, I think we can, you know, tackle this together. And I'm going to leave you all with this is, you know, we all tend to think that as the single individual in this world, you know, who am I to really make a difference? And, you know, I could revert back to people like MLK or, you know, other people that started with this one BHAG, this big, hairy, audacious goal to create change and might have had the roadblock of like, but I'm just one voice and I'm so small, but I want to leave you with this analogy is if we were one stick and we tried to break it, it might be easy to break. But what if we all came together and we started to not reinforce our thoughts with people that are like-minded, but we actually started to pursue others that are maybe differently minded of, you know, different political affiliation or different sexuality orientation or different belief or value systems. And we started to rally with those people to think to ourselves, well, if I can develop empathy and understanding for those people, we can really all find common ground in the fact that we're all just human beings at the end of it all. So if we came together as a bundle of six, then try to break a bundle of sticks, you can't break it. And so we all need to find a way to move in the right direction, move together and move congruently rather than apart. And then that one individual with one voice becomes thousands who can really create some serious change and turmoil. And this world's going to be a heck of a lot better place. So, Oh, wow. That is, that is what I'm talking about, Hal. This is why you are so magical, so positive. And if the world doesn't need to hear those words today, right now, more than ever, we have got to come together and we have got to work together to make things better. And, and, and that's the only thing that's ever made the world move is people like you who roll up their sleeves and make it happen and who go out there and just are the brightest of lights. So thank you, Hal, so, so much for enlightening all of us today. I, you've lit me up and I, um, I'm just thrilled for our conversation. So thank you so much. Hey, Heidi, thank you. God bless. Honored to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, what you're doing to, you know, spread the word and to really be the conduit to what people need to hear. Uh, you're the one to be applauded. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Hal. You're the best. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters podcast. I really enjoyed talking to our guest, Hal Hargrave, about what it takes to start a business that changes people's lives. I think Hal's comment about becoming the person he was supposed to be was so inspiring and true. To learn more about people like Hal, these modern-day heroes and entrepreneurs, or if you'd just like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love this if you shared it with your family and friends. And feel free to subscribe and go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Remember... Together, we can make a difference, one small act of kindness at a time. See you next time.